you have your Bibles, you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. As we continue our time hearing the gospel of the weeping prophet. Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to read the first 12 verses together. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. And the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they say, this is the people of Judah, they say this, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, we gather together every week because of what that young lady wrote in that message. Because it matters. Because it matters. Because you make the difference in my life. You make the difference in our life. You are going to make the difference in more lives. And you are worthy of all of our praise and glory and honor. Oh, we're so self-deceived so easily. Into believing that once we have you, we can live without you. Or that we don't need you. Or that we're strong enough. And every week, every week, every day, what we need as believers, even those who are not yet believers, what we need is the gospel to remind us that we are just potters, or we are just clay, and you are the potters. To remember that we have no purpose apart from your hand. We have no place apart from your hand. We have no usefulness apart from your hand, but in your hand. In your hand, we can be clay jars filled with glory. I pray this morning that you would paint that vision for our people. I pray those who feel misshapen and spoiled that today they would return to you. I pray for those who are proud that today before you they would be humbled. And I pray that, Lord, you would find us useful. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So my granddad was a craftsman. He had all of the ability and the ingenuity and the creativity that just makes someone extraordinary. He was the guy that you brought your stuff to when nobody else could fix it. You, you probably know somebody like that. That just seems like they know everything about everything. 
I, I remember when I was eight or nine years old, I was with him and someone had brought him this lawnmower and nobody else had been able to fix it. And my granddad was convinced that he could fix it. And so he comes in and I'm out doing my thing and probably breaking something if, if I know me. And, and I remember my granddad was so proud. He, he walks out and he's holding this part and he says, Cody, little man, this is the problem. My, this is the problem. And he said, and you want to know what the real problem is? This lawnmower is so old, you can't go buy one of these. Well, for me, that means you go buy a new lawnmower. Not him. I said, well, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to make my own part. And y'all, to an eight or nine-year-old boy, it was like the man just told me he could fly. I, I thought, you're going to make your own lawnmower parts? Like, that's amazing. And sure enough, he goes in and he fabricates the part and he puts it on this antique lawnmower and the thing runs like a sewing machine. My parents used to tell me that I ought to go and spend as much time with him as I could in my workshop so that perhaps I could absorb some of his mechanical brilliance and be able to learn some of those skills. Now, if my granddad was still alive and he was here telling, talking to you today, what he would tell you is I am one of the worst mechanics he's ever known. He would tell you that. He told me that fairly regularly. But you know, I did learn a lot hanging out with him. I learned hanging out with my granddad that a problem thought on long enough and hard enough can usually be resolved. I learned hanging out with my granddad that if you can envision it, you can build it. I learned hanging out with my granddad who was in his 70s at the time that if you have something that you can sink your curiosity, set your curiosity on and sink your creativity in, that it can create a spark that makes life worth living. It's probably not what you expect to learn from your granddad's shop, but that's what I learned. What's interesting is in Jeremiah chapter 18, God takes Jeremiah to the workshop. He takes him to the workshop and he takes him there not to learn how to be a potter, but to learn some unexpected lessons. To, earn, to learn more about who God is and to learn more about who Judah is and to learn more about what, what God was there to offer to them and what their role really was. And I want us to join Jeremiah in that workshop to see if we can learn some of the same unexpected lessons that Jeremiah did. The first thing I want you to see is that God is a craftsman himself. That God is a craftsman himself. On December the 1st, 1913, Henry Ford installed what was the very first assembly line. It enabled them to efficiently make automobiles that were affordable to common people. It, it became ubiquitous. Now, pretty much all of us in the room today have an automobile as a result. So it was really a brilliant innovation. And it was also the beginning of the demise of craftsmanship. That it is a gift to be able to make things in mass. It's a gift to be able to make them efficiently. It's probably one of the primary reasons that we have created what is the greatest war machine in the history of humankind. But there are fewer and fewer and fewer people that can handcraft something from start to finish themselves, aren't there? There are fewer and fewer people that have the ingenuity and the creativity and the know-how to be able to start with a pile of nothing and end up with something that everybody else would want. And the interesting thing is, in a cookie-cutter world, in a big-box store world, if I were to offer you a chair that was machine-automated and sold in Ikea, 
compared to one that, is high, that has been handcrafted with a few blemishes, 100 out of 100 people would take the handcrafted chair, wouldn't we? Because there's something peculiar about it. The handcrafted chair was made personally. The handcrafted chair was a work of passion. It was a work of creativity. It's, it's an original. It's, it's unique. There's not another one that's like it. And we'll pass down a handcrafted chair as an heirloom. We'll take the Ikea chair in a few years to the Goodwill. God's message to Jeremiah is that he's a craftsman in that way. That he is a, a craftsman that, that hand crafts his people and handcrafts his will and handcrafts his plan personally, individually, intimately, creatively with all of the ingenuity of the greatest mind in all of the cosmos. And just like every great craftsman, he wants him to see that he has a design. That he has a design. A, a, a craftsman doesn't build things arbitrarily. A craftsman has a vision, or they have a design in which they're operating by. They, they know the end goal. They know what they're making, and they know why they're making. And that is implicit in what he's saying here. He says, so I went down to the potter's shop, and there he was working at his will. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And so he reworked it into another vessel. So in other words, this idea that there is a vessel that's being made is implying that God knew what he was doing. That God had a vision in mind and God had a plan in mind. That it may have been a cup and it may have been a pot or it may have been a jar. But God was making it on purpose. And God was making it for a purpose. In fact, this image of God being the potter and his people being the clay, it's one of the most pervasive themes, and one of the most pervasive word pictures that's used by the Lord throughout the Bible to describe himself and to describe his creation or to describe himself and to describe his people. And the intent is for his people to recognize that there is one who is sovereign, that there is one who is ruling, that there is an intelligent designer for all of life, an intelligent designer for all of the cosmos, an intelligent designer for each individual person, that these things have not been done arbitrarily, these things have not been done incidentally. All of these things are according to a vision and a design at the hands of the great potter, that he is making each vessel himself right on schedule. Now I want you to feel the wonder and the power and the joy of that. Your life is not a mistake. Your life is not an accident. You're not an afterthought in the mind of Almighty God. He has formed you and forged you in his own hands. That what you are is you are a stroke of genius in the most brilliant mind that has ever been. And he has made you just as you are the way that he wants you to be. Now, what you have to recognize, he's not talking here, though, to individuals, so we can't stop there. He's talking to a nation. He's talking to all of Judah, and we put that in the New Covenant context. He's talking to the people of God. He's talking to the church that what you have to recognize is, yes, you've been made intentionally, and you've been made according to God's desire, but you have been made to fit into a larger design, that you are one cup in a set. That left alone, you wither. Left alone, you seem pointless. Left alone, you just collect dust. That all of you were, were made with proficiencies and deficiencies. All of you were made with abilities and with limitations. All of you were made with passions and with 
disinterest. All, all, all of you were made with all of the different. And then, then we have those things that come to us naturally. And then when we come into the uh, t- come into the faith, we know that the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us. We can receive spiritual gifts. But my goodness, I don't know anybody that receives all of the spiritual gifts. All some of us preach, and some of us serve, and some of us are are generous, and some of us are evangelists. And and God takes all of these things with all of our deficiencies and all of our proficiencies and all of our inabilities, and He takes all of us and He fits us together in a part as a part of a grander design, as a part of a bigger picture, that my life is not just about me, and your life is not just about you, and Judah's life was not just about Judah, that all of it is at the behest of a sovereign creator who is making all things with his own hands for his own glory. But that's not even the main point here. The main point is not just that you have been sovereignly made according to the design of God, that's certainly implied, but the main point is that you are still being made, that he's always shaping you. He's always at work in your life. He's always doing something to make sure that you stay in alignment with his design, that you're living for his glory, that you're pronouncing his goodness one way or the other. That he comes to Judah, and the comparison is not the most flattering comparison. And by the way, just so you know, we're Judah in the story, okay? So it's, it's not the most flattering comparison for all of us to make. He says, and the vessel he was making was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he re- reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to him. So, so the idea here of Judah is that when you look at the design of God, it looks as though everything has went awry. That the problem that we have with the design of God is sin has distorted the design of God. In other words, the problem that we have every day and the problem that we have with our lives and the problem that we have with this world is us. I'm the problem and you're the problem. And our sin has led to God's design being bent every which of way so much so that it can be difficult for us to recognize and it can be difficult for us to understand it. It can be difficult for us to accept it. That we are misshapen clay. That we are spoiled clay. But what God is saying is, Judah, you may be spoiled clay, but my plan and my design have not been spoiled by you. I am still at work. I am still shaping you. I am still working through your life. In fact, there when he starts this idea of when he witnesses the potter there working at his will in verse 3, is meant to paint a picture of what God is doing in the economy of heaven. That what God is doing is is God is not asleep at the will. God is at work. God always, he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He always has his hands there at the potter's will, forming and forging the clay so that the clay is formed in just the right way and takes just the right shapes. Now I sin and you sin and we introduce imperfections and we introduce flaws and sin comes and distorts the creation and bends the creation. But there is the Lord, sovereign and in control, at the potter's will, taking all of our imperfections and taking all of our flaws and taking all of our mistakes and taking all of our brokenness and all of our distortions and all of our dysfunctions. And he's at the potter's will and he's always shaping it and always forming it so that we stay in alignment with who he has made us to be. That you may be spoiled, but his will is not spoiled. You may have messed up, but God's, God's design is not messed up. Now, can we just stop for a second and say, aren't you glad that God doesn't throw out spoiled clay? Aren't you glad that God doesn't find misshapen pots and smash them to smithereens? That's what he ought to do. That's what he could do. But that's not what he does. There was, there's an old barn 
across the road from where Megan grew up. And it's been in the family for, for generations, and you know what happens to old barns, right? Enough years pass by, and the weather beats down on them, and the rain comes, and, and it begins to take its toll, and the termites, they come in, and they do their damage, and the critters come in and out, and the weeds grow up, and the trees grow around it. And once what was a perfectly stable, perfect barn makes, becomes haunted, and you don't really want to walk in there anymore, right? Well, a couple of years ago for Christmas time, Megan's dad went across to this barn that has been a, a fixture in their family for so many years. And he took some of that wood. And the wood, you, you can see the, the termite burrows that have went through it. It's old, it's splintered, it's weathered, it's, it's crooked, and there's knots. And, and honestly, it just doesn't look like it's worth much. But he's a craftsman. So you know what he did? He took that old barn wood that's been there for a hundred years... And he sanded it down. And he stained it. And from that old wood, he built a charcuterie board that he gave to my wife for Christmas that now is the centerpiece of our kitchen. And when we look at it and we see the old termite burrows and the old weathered wood, you know what we think? We don't think, get that thing out of my house. We think, how beautiful. What a story. And Megan tells that story to about every person that comes into our home. Brothers and sisters, that's what God is doing with our lives. He's there and he's at the will and we come and we're splintered and termite eaten. And honestly, it just doesn't look like we're worth very much, does it? But then there is the sovereign Lord at work at the potter's will, shaping our lives and forming our lives so that those things that were broken, those things that were worthless, those things that seemed as though they discounted us altogether are used to bring glory to his name. And now we become centerpieces of his grace. We have stories to tell of who God is. And that's the offer that he's making to Judah. And that's the offer that he's making to us. Will you continue on your own way toward brokenness? Will you continue on your own way toward dysfunction? Or will you stop and surrender yourself to the potter that he might make you, remake you, reshape you into something that's more beautiful yet? See, God reshapes the worst clay. That's my hope and that's your hope. The leaning tower of Pisa, that's the the picture that you see up there, is one of the world's most iconic towers. And ironically enough, it's also one of art's greatest blunders. The Leaning Tower stands 183 feet, but when they were designing it, there was an inherent flaw in the design. Did you know that the foundation for this 183-foot tower is only 9 feet deep? And the great miscalculation wasn't even in the shallow nature of the foundation. The great miscalculation was they didn't realize how soft the soil was. So they went in and they, they sank this, these cornerstones and they began to build upon it. And then they noticed there was a bit of a lean to her. That the ground underneath it began to give way. Now what happened was, is about a, they, they, the, country, the, the people went to war. And for about a century, the tower project lay dormant, and there wasn't much they could do with it. And in the kindness of God, what happened is that tower project lay dormant, is actually it began to compact the soil underneath it, so that now it actually had a firmer foundation. 
So after about a century of war, they, they brought in a new artisan who could come in and to revital, re, revive the project and bring it, bring it to conclusion. And he began to take, and the, on the leaning side, he would build the walls higher than on the other side to try to help balance it out. And today, today there's about a four-degree lean in the leaning tower. And you know what every single one of us look and see? A masterpiece. A masterpiece. Think about that. This was a catastrophe. This was a bad decision. This was a flawed design. This was a, an unskilled artist. And yet they were able to take that and to make, take a ca- catastrophe and turn it into a masterpiece. That's what the Lord can do in my life and yours. He has a good design. And he is a master artist. And he is a perfect builder. And so he can take my life and your life and the catastrophe that we've made it and the basket cases that we are and all of the mistakes that we've made and all the sins that we've had and all the bad decisions that have been there and all of the despair that has been there. And he takes that and takes those catastrophes and he reshapes them into masterpieces. And see, I think what we see is that there's these two phrases that God points out to the people of Judah that offers an invitation to you and I. The first is a rhetorical question. God looks to the people of Judah and he says through Jeremiah, can I not? Can I not? And then I ask a question for you and I, can God not? Can God not? You see, the, the problem And you'll see there in verse 6, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? Now, I want you to think about what the problem was for Judah. The problem was not a design problem. We've already seen that. God is a sovereign designer. God is a brilliant designer. The, The issue is not with the engineering. The problem was with the pot. You see, when the pot was in the potter's shop, the pot was well kept. It was taken care of. It was kept clean. It was kept safe. It was, it was treasured. It was, it was appreciated for the beauty in which it had been made. It was used for the purpose for which it had been made. But some way, somehow, the old pot had fallen away. And it had fallen outside of the potter's shop. And outside of the potter's shop, the weather beat up against it. And, and the protection wasn't there. And it realized its vulnerability. And it took on chips and cracks. And it wasn't used for anything good. And it took on dust, not its own made purpose. And outside of the potter's shop, that which was made to be beautiful, that which was made to be treasured, that which was made to be utilized was, was worthless and pointless. So here is the Lord, the potter. And he's looking back to that fallen pot and he's saying, Can I, who used to keep you safe, not keep you safe now? Can I, who used to use you, not use you now? Can I, who used to provide for you, not provide for you now? Can I, who made you according to your design, not continue to let you realize the fullness of who I've made you to be now? Can I not? See, we can sit here and in Christianese say all the great cliches about what God can do. But when it comes to what we believe that he will actually do in my life and in your life, we are filled with unbelief. Can I tell you something? You're not the one person God can't fix. You're not the one person God can't fix. 
you're not the rock that God built that was so big that he can't move it. Don't think so highly of your ability and so lowly of God's ability. Can the one who made you not remake you? Can the one who created you not renew you? Can the one who made you on purpose and for a purpose, can he not restore to you the purpose for your life? See, it brings, we think about this question, can I not? It brings into our minds prerogative. And this is what God is saying. It is my right as the maker. I am the one who is sovereign. I have the prerogative to make you right. I have the prerogative to, make, to reshape you. But it's not just his right, it's his ability. Can I not? Not only is it my right, but I can do it. I am able to do it. But best yet, y'all, the fact that he asks the question shows that he will do it. It's not just his right to do it. It is his right. He's the maker. It's not just his ability to do it. It is his ability. He's almighty God. But he comes to us and he says, will you come to me because I want to. I am willing to do it. I am able to do it. Can I not? Will I not? Come to me. And so the question becomes, will you not? Will you not? There's a second phrase I want you to zero in on there in verse 7. Not just does he say, oh house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done. He turns to them and he says, look, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Now, if you'll remember back in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10, When we looked at Jeremiah's call, what we saw there in verse 10 is that Jeremiah has the mission statement of his ministry. And God uses these six different verbs that I told you come up time and again throughout the prophecy of Jeremiah that really characterize God's message to his people through the prophet. Well, here we have three of them. Pluck up, break down, and destroy. Now, these are the bad ones, right? These are the hard ones. And we we talked about how Jeremiah's ministry is going to be a hard ministry. That's that's why he's more known for his tears than he is for his parties. We We talked about that, right? But what God is showing through the prophet is that there was always an implied message. Even in the words of judgment. Even in the words of discipline. Even in the words of of exile and destruction. That there was always an offer from God that if at any time you will turn away from your sin. If at any time you will begin to obey me. If at any time you will look to me and stop looking to yourself. If at any time. I will relent of my disaster and I will restore you as my people. And you will know what it is to walk in the fullness of life with me. I will show you what it is to be a tree planted by streams of water that is blessed even if you're living in the midst of the desert. But God's people had continually, continually rebuffed him. God's people had continually rebuffed him because they already had their high places and they already had well established the worship of other gods and they were already in love with all of their wealth and, and the truth of the matter is they were just in it too deep. See, if the enemy can't convince you that you're too bad for God to help, what he'll work to convince you is that you're in too deep for God to help. That you're too deep in the adulterous relationship. That you're too deep in your secret life. That you're too deep in your circle of friends. You're too deep and you're without hope. But can I ask you, 
Are you in any deeper than the thief on the cross that hung beside Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, this day you will be with me in paradise? Are you in deeper than Peter was when he went and on the night of Jesus' passion denied him three times? Are you in deeper than Paul was when Christ came to him on the Damascus road, him just leaving having murdered Christians on his way to murdering more Christians when he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Are you in deeper than David was when he went and took advantage of Bathsheba and then murdered her husband Uriah? Are you in deeper than they were? Did God not remake their lives? Did God not reshape their destinies? Did God not utilize them even greater at the end of their lives than he did at the beginnings of their life? Listen, if God is willing to use an obscure thief, and if God is willing to reshape a cowardice apostle, and if God is willing to rescue a murderous fool, and if God is willing to restore an adulterous king, God will use you too. God will use you too. Oh, you're not in too deep. The question is, is will you not turn to the Lord? Will you not receive the grace that he is offering to you? God could have thumped them from the earth, but he didn't. He warned them. He sent a prophet to them. He tried by his love and by his kindness to turn their hearts. And this morning you are sitting face to face with a preacher. He's trying to do the same thing in your life. Will you not receive the kind grace from Jesus? See, Paul tells us in that passage that I read that God's Kindness is meant to lead to repentance. That's the best reason to repent. Not because you're in trouble, not because some, because God is good. Because God is good. You see, if you have an abusive father, you have to be right with him or he'll break your neck. But if you have a good daddy, you want to be right with him because being with him is the best place for you to be. And here is our Heavenly Father looking to His people and imploring them and pleading with them and and standing and waving His arms at them and saying, I want to be right with you. Will you not be right with me? I want you close to me. Won't you come? Listen, you're not too bad. You're not too deep. Come. Come to the Lord. Because God can break the strongest pot. Back in when Andrew and I were doing youth ministry, Andrew always famously taught a seventh grade boys Sunday school class. And that, it was just his thing, right? And at that time, I, would, I, I was responsible for junior high and senior high. And we had those as separate ministries. And so I would spend a week in junior high and a week in senior high. And I, I would go in and I would sit in with different groups just to make sure everything was, was going well. And on this particular day, I was sitting in with Andrew's group. And he's going around and, and doing like you do, you know, just kind of giving them an opportunity to talk about what's happening in their lives and trying to make connections with them and uh, just enjoying being with them. And, and I remember there was one particular young man who uh, was a thick-chested young man, and, and uh, he, uh, he, said, he started talking about the fact that he was the junior high kicker for Oxford High School. And he goes on and he starts talking about the number of games that he's won and the fact that he hasn't missed a kick all year. And I just remember, and this is when I memorized this verse, by the way. I told Andrew that this week. Andrew looked at it and said, bro, you better be careful because pride comes before the fall. And I just remember everybody, and, and Andrew was kind of being funny, but he was being direct too, you know. 
Well, the, the following Tuesday, uh, Andrew went to watch him play at the game. And I remember Andrew called me from the game. He said, dude, I feel so bad. He missed three kicks tonight. <laughs> Human beings famously overestimate ourselves, don't we? We famously overestimate ourselves. When things are going good, we believe that we're just too strong. And for Judah, things are going fine. Things are going fine. And they began to believe that they were just too strong. And they were overestimating themselves and overestimating God, what God's goodness meant for them in their lives. So God comes with them through the prophet to, with a message. And it doesn't matter what your successes say. It doesn't matter what your diplomas say. It doesn't matter what your history says. It doesn't matter what your bench press number says. It doesn't matter what your IQ number says. Every pot is fragile. Every pot is fragile. And he comes and he says, he revisits that Jeremiah 110 mission statement again. He says, if at any time I declare concerning a, no, a nation or a kingdom that I will build, that was one of the words, and plant, that was one of the words, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. That he, what he wants them to say, what he wants them to see is, yes, yes, you have received kindness because you are my people. And yes, you have received, you have received protection because you are my people. And yes, you have experienced prosperity because you are my people. You are the receivers of my grace. But don't you think for a second it's because of you. Don't you think for a second that it's because of something in you and not entirely upon me. And when you begin to think that the goodness in your life is because of your strength and because of your winsomeness and because of your intellect and because of, of your inherent brilliance, when you begin to overestimate yourself, I'm content to let you be broken. That God desires to draw us to repentance through his kindness, but God is willing to draw us to repentance through his discipline. See, there is a temptation for all of God's people that is also addressed in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, do you presume the riches of kindness and the forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That there can be an abuse of grace, a presumption of grace in our lives where we think, okay, I'm going to heaven, I've got Jesus, what difference does it make what else I do? I'll just be forgiven of it anyway, so I'm going to go and I'm going to live however I want to live. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That is an indicator that you don't know the gospel at all. That's an indicator that you're far from God if you do know God. And God is willing to allow you to be disciplined and to experience his judgment in your life so that you'll be brought back into fellowship. And this, this is what's happening for Judah. See, don't think for a second, don't think for a second that eternal security comes with temporal immunity. Because it doesn't. Eternal security does not imply temporal immunity. That God is willing to let his strongest pots be broken the hardest so that they will recognize apart from the potter they are nothing. See, there's nothing further from God's design than a proud pot. The pot didn't decide how big or small it was going to be. The potter did. The pot didn't decide how beautiful or simple it would be. The potter did. The pot didn't decide what vessel it would be or what vessel it wouldn't be or what purpose it was made for or what purpose it wasn't made for. The potter designed it all. And if the potter desires to go and to break the pot, that is within his prerogative to do. 
Now, God has gifted many of you. God has gifted all of you. Some of you have business acumen. Some of you have the, the ability to preach. Some of you are generous. Some of you are wealthy. Some of you have high intellect. Some of you have all of those things, and I hate you. <laughs> I love you. I'm just kidding. And what we can begin to believe about ourselves is that we can do it without the Lord. And God is willing to take all of those temporal gifts, natural and supernatural, inborn and spirit-born, and He is willing to remove those from your life so that you can fall on your face and know, and know that you have not received grace because you are good. You have not received grace because you are able. You have not received grace because you are something special. You have received grace because God is good, and God is able, and God is special. And that's why it's important for you to recognize that every day is a new day. Every day is a new day. That's the decision that's in front of them. See, Judah, it was as if Judah was making the decision, since we're in sin, we might as well keep sinning. Since we're running from God, we might as well keep running. And as flawed as that logic is, as irrational as that logic is, sin is irrational. And it's the same logic that so many of us operate by. But what God is saying to them is he is saying, look, return, return everyone from his evil way. Amend your ways and your deeds. Today is a new day. Who cares what happened yesterday? It doesn't matter what happened last year. No, today is a new day. Return today. Come to the Lord today. Return within my design today. Allow me to restore and renew you today. Let me reshape you into a vessel of even greater glory for my name. Let me make you a centerpiece of my grace, a catastrophe to a masterpiece. But not Judah. Judah was stubborn in their evil hearts. And they continued on in their way, and one day, because of it, they would be marched off into Babylon. What about you? What about you? Will you return? Will you learn the lessons from that workshop all those years ago? Will you come back to the craftsman with all of your brokenness and all of your spoiled clay and let him make you into a masterpiece? Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.